Welcome back, and thank you for downloading the Pacific Rim Pro Wrestling Podcast from Seattle to Tokyo and all points throughout history. This is the podcast that gives you background, not just on wrestling in Japan, but all throughout the entire world of history, anywhere in the world. My name is Jim Valley, longtime historian and broadcaster, and joining me from Tokyo, Japan, one of the most uh, respected and well-known historians and pro wrestling journalists anywhere in the world, Fumi Saito. Hello, how are you? Good, good. How are Hello how from are Tokyo. Things? Yep. How are things? Oh, I'm good. Uh, everything is good. Everything is good. Monday morning here in Tokyo. We're here Sunday <laughs> night, and uh, we have yeah. our house all decorated. We have my wife's Christmas wrapping party. And <laughs> it was very nice. Do you guys, do you have any holiday traditions that you do? Yeah, well, Christmas and New Year's, New Year's holiday is the biggest thing in Japan. So uh, um, I do Thanksgiving and Christmas, I do that. And then New, New Japan, I mean, I mean the New, New Year holiday is the biggest thing. And also my birthday is January 1st. So uh, I'll have all kinds of holidays together coming up. New Year's baby. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that's uh, I love this time of this, you know time of the year. One of the things that I know that always makes the web this time of year, yeah, is the tie-in for Christmas in Tokyo in particular and Japan and Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah, that it's like a holiday meal, is it not? Isn't it a fairly famous? Um, pretty famous but something is one of those things lost in translation yeah you know you have turkey or chicken or ham or something but uh, i guess that uh, we, some somebody somehow or marketing strategy or whatever that the kentucky fried chicken became your christmas meal in japan oh, about 40 years ago i guess but it, you it never had to be kentucky fried chicken but uh, yeah now you Bucket go out and get it, chicken, yeah. don't you, on Christmas? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do cook in the oven, too. But uh, I guess Kentucky Fried Chicken did the major campaign. This is the day you come in and buy a bucket of you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I guess it became tradition in this country. And one of those things kind of lost in translation. But it's kind of cute, too. Are you, you a know? cook? You don't strike me as a cook. Uh, I do minimum. I don't mind washing dishes do everything else at home but uh cooking is not one of my favorite thing either yeah you don't i can do pretty much uh, i could do basically everything no not as good but uh not that i cannot <laughs> let's talk about wrestling well this week is the uh the <laughs> okay. wrestling observer hall of fame the uh, the honorees yes. came out yes. the new inductees came out and mm-hmm. a couple of people mm-hmm. that we talked about a few shows ago, you can look at it. We went through all of the Japanese, uh, um, yeah. honor- the all Japanese candidates, and a couple of these people mm-hmm. we talked about their history, but we should touch base on them again. Uh, one yes. of the ones that was probably the biggest surprise to me, and I mentioned off the air that every year I vote, and this year I just never got around to it. I don't know, lazy, I guess. And every uh-huh. year I always vote for the Sharp Brothers, and the one year I, I do, I, I always did. You vote for the Sharp Brothers as well. Uh huh, uh huh. And they finally got in. They finally got in. Uh, as a historical significance, um, Sharp Brothers should have been very first candidate from like a Japanese end. Yeah. You know, uh, to be in the Ricky Dozen, Sharp Brothers, for sure, for sure. You know, right away. It's a historical figure. 19, you know, 1954, that the major league of professional wrestling has started. In Japan, 
first big American superstar. They were Canadian, yes, but uh, but they played America. America. Yeah, they played America. Yeah, you know, they don't they didn't know the difference. You know, big Canadian guys, but the world tag team champions, two big guys, large human being. It had to be big guys, and also it was interesting that uh, it was uh, Joe Markovich from San Francisco, Bobby Brands, uh, Inoki's um, I mean Ricky Dozen's advisor and, and original coach. And Ricky Dozer himself was a promoter and the booker. They choose to have tag team wrestling match instead of a single competition. See, when you open a new grand, you know, grand opening of your big wrestling company, you would think single match, you know, single match um, between two big superstars would be main event. But they choose tag team wrestling instead. It's a very interesting thing because. I think Japanese audience learned tag team wrestling before they learned single match. Therefore, they kind of knew what you know what you, you you would expect from American pro wrestling. At the time, people didn't know the rules. See, very new you know entertainment, but professional sport being introduced to the country. Two local stars, Ricky Dozan and judo champion Masahiko Kimura going against tag team champion of the world, the Sharp Brothers. Very, very famous Sharp Brothers. <laughs> Do I sound like a advertising? It was a historical, historical figure, though. You know, it was huge thing. So one of the things but, that you corrected me on, which yeah. I always thought, and if I thought it, probably a lot of people did, was yeah. that it didn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily a, a morality play or some sort of revenge play or nationalism based on World War II. World War II. It was only seven or eight years after, and only six months after GHQ. You know that the general headquarter, yeah. you know General MacArthur, those people left. You know after the the San Francisco signing, all those things. But I. I believe the story of like a national pride or, uh, you know, all those Ricky Dozen, national Japanese hero, that the beating up American, you know, that was the story which was created decades later, decades later. It's almost revisionist um, point of view. At the time, though, Sharp Brothers were not necessarily booed or being introduced as big heel or anything. There was no concept. It's, uh, it's, it's, I'm, I'm talking about the contrary, you know, contrary to a popular belief in the theory that goes on even today, that the all Japanese wrestlers are baby faced and all the American coming in were heels. Yes and no. Basically, yeah, Japanese wrestlers, you know, would be good guys, and basically all the American guys are bad guys. That could be. But, you know, in reality, in 1954, if you see the actual footage of black and white film that we can study, um, some, some of the matches are actually in YouTube now, but those American wrestlers were not necessarily booed or more like uh, they were cheered because they were television star or world heavyweight tag team champions from America. They were introduced to his dignity. You know, there was no concept of babyface or heel at the time. So I, I'd say 
that a lot of the stories that were written decades later pretty much put the perspective into rather stereotypical story. And it wasn't like that. They were not booed. They were introduced as some superstar from like a new genre, professional wrestling. You know what I'm saying? So you're saying it was too early in the concept of professional wrestling in Japan to develop the heel cheating, evil heel dynamic yet that that hadn't started. That it was still being presented right. as a shoot Somewhat and a naturally, sport. Though, so yeah, local up. guys could be babyface, but it's not like they were not designed to be to play heels or you know necessary cheating in the matches or. They're dignified, you know, real honorable American wrestling superstars, you know, that the new television station opened, NHK, that the Nippon TV, two stations carried the entire tour of it, you know, live, beginning of television and beginning of professional wrestling. It goes hand to hand. So it's not like your heel American coming in and Ricky Doza as national star babyface. It's easy to portray that way. And then the stories were written as such decades later. It was more of an introduction of like new, the whole new genre, a whole new era. Introduction of sport, introduction of television, and all, all in all, introduction of new audience, post-war, democracy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So why Hope don't we, you're with me. Yeah, I'm totally yeah. with you. Why don't we get touch base on, I think, kind of a surprise. I mean, he certainly belongs. We talked Sharp about Brothers? This. Well, we talked about Sharp Brothers, but what about uh, Minoru Suzuki? Oh, he should have been in Hall of Fame years ago. I, uh, I think that the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, the voting system is pretty complicated, you know, that now it's divided into region and, uh, you know, categories that... Uh, some remains, some get erased, and people like Fabulous Muller, Dick Murdoch, Wilbur Schneider, those people are not in it, right? But that's why it was surprising that the, this Ben and Mike, you know, Sharpers came up, you know, um, such, a, such a huge historic figure here in Japan. I'd like to think they came up because of our show, but that's probably not the case. Mm. I wouldn't say that, but I uh, wouldn't either. More his, but the people recognized the historical significance, and also Sharp Brothers. That the voting was, was um, Dave Meltzer analyzed it. The ex wrestlers and historians, former wrestlers, pretty much voted for Sharp Brothers. Same thing happened to people like Pedro Morales, you know, past superstar. Which now you know, easily be forgotten. I voted for Pedro. Fans. I usually vote for Pedro too. So all the people that yeah. I usually vote for, I usually got in without my. <laughs> <own, so. laughs> yeah, that is very important to have people like Pedro Morales. Yes. Yeah. No, and Mark Lewin this year. You know, it's so funny. The one thing before we move on to the candidates, one of the things that I, I always doubt, whenever yeah. people I vote for don't do well, 
I'm like, do I not know my wrestling? I'm always having second doubts. Like if other people don't get, get, yeah, but don't, don't worry about in. it. Don't worry about that. It's okay. You, you don't have to vote somebody that, 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 that are really popular among other people. You know, you have the right to vote. I know. Your vote counts. But Just you don't sex look, sounds like an election. You don't want to vote stupid, though. You don't want to look like an idiot. No, but somebody you b- believe in. Yeah. And that's not going to be announced. You know, only Dave Meltzer would know who he voted. Yep. And uh, I think each vote means something, you know. So, yes. So is Minoru Suzuki. I assume you vote. Did you vote yeah. for Suzuki? Years and years ago, yes. Yeah. I, I believe, um, you know, to be honest with you, I can't remember all, all 10. But uh, see, um, the email comes in, right? The mail comes in and you start erasing the ones you are not going to vote right away. And then it's so hard to leave just 10. Yeah. I mean, out of each and every category, you know, there are so many good people still in there that you have to erase. You could only vote for 10 maximum every year i have a hard time because mm-hmm. so i would vote for yeah tim woods mr wrestling he should be in, in in hall of fame too i think you think so yeah mr wrestling i i think so yeah you think he was a big enough yeah. draw uh, i feel like he wasn't a big enough draw for a long for enough time historical importance how so Oh, he is one of the most important wrestling mask man post-war. This is the Dick Byer rest, you know, the destroyer, right? Right. And male maskers, of course. Right. The, then Mr. Wrestling, I think. See, I don't see it, but okay. I mean, I, you know more than I, so I'm going to have to go back uh, and well, look it up. Or if you lived in Georgia or somewhere, I say, yeah, Mr. Wrestling is more, one of the most important, you know, mask figure. In, in in Georgia area, and plus he had the shoot match against you know amateur tough guy in the ring. He lost his finger, and uh, so that very important you know thing he played you know very important role to protect business. And also he was part of the Ric Flair plane crash, remember? Interesting. And. Uh, yeah, he um, hmm. he was in and on the airplane with heels, right. so yeah. he was babyface. So he uh, didn't talk about his playing, you know, accident, crash, accident, and he made comeback only about five weeks later, all banged up. So he uh, he was playing a very historical, significant role in real life, I believe. That's an and interview. also he had program here too. You know, he came here and then he was a f- second annual Champions Carnival in 1974, Giant Baba against Mr. Wrestling. And he unmasked, you know, right after the, the championship tournament final. So let's touch base real quick on Minoru Suzuki. Yeah. Oh, yes. So he, you- um, very important, yeah. He's a Hall of Famer. I mean, between his between his MMA and his pro wrestling, I mean, he's pretty seamless. I think he's arguably one of the most well-rounded performers as far as, obviously, the ability in shoot fighting, the ability in serious professional wrestling, and then, honestly, the guy is able to do comedy. I mean, really, the only, yeah. person, the only person who might be in his league is like a Kurt Angle because Kurt obviously could wrestle for real. 
He could obviously yeah. have serious matches. Then Kurt obviously had a great comedic touch. I mean, in some ways, he's he's Japanese Kurt Angle. Uh, pretty much. Not exactly gold no, medal, no, but... Uh, it's not exact. It's not exact. Yeah, it, it, and also, he worked many companies. See, yeah. um, he got the IWGP Heavyweight Champion in New Japan. He got the Triple Crown World Champion, All Japan. I believe he got the GHC... Um, Global Honored Crown Championship from uh, uh, Pro Wrestling Noir. Then when when they created Pancras, he was second Pancras champion. So MMA champion, all the major league Japanese world champion. That's big. Yeah. No, he deserves to be. Yeah. No question. Yes, and also longevity too. That guy's forty-seven. He still works like he's thirty-something. You know. And also, he keep reinventing himself uh, according to your you know era you're in, nineties, uh, late eighties, Minoru Suzuki, golden rookie guy, nineties UWF into MMA style, in two thousand he goes back to traditional wrestling, all Japan pro wrestling, New Japan pro wrestling, pro wrestling nor now he's back with all New Japan pro wrestling still pretty much on top 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 group so longevity speaks for itself do you know him yeah pretty much What's since it? he was rookie is he nice is he serious what is he like he is pretty serious and he and he was serious when he was you know that the making pancreas uh real professional wrestling that he dreamed about see he too was kind of kid that uh, he kind of wished that pro wrestling was real and uh, the work is fine but uh, just like every kid you know there's a dream every kid had uh, wish pro wrestling was, was real right and uh it was always been real to him so uh, he did it you know he he created the company who actually does legitimate wrestling match which was pancras and uh, he became champion with you know with that company, and also he was like a uh, um, figure that the pro wrestler going to MMA, you know, not necessarily win it, but uh, he had you know challenge, you know, he he challenged, he did it in front of the big audience, so everybody witnessed what he was going to do. Losing and winning, yes, it's important in MMA, but uh, for him going in with all his background stories and all the honest, you know, motivation and all the, all the stories were witnessed by large audience in Japan. And uh, people have been with him all along. Traditional pro wrestling, MMA, uh, legitimate wrestling, and it goes back to traditional wrestling. All those things are like uh, questions are being answered because of him. You know what I'm saying? How long do you think he can go? Oh, another, another few years for sure. Yeah. Or as long as he feels like it, you know. And he doesn't hide the fact that uh, he's always been a wrestling fan, you know. Sometimes he comes in, dressed up like Bruiser Brody with his wig. Interesting, right? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he does comedy, you know, match. He does a very serious match. And, uh, well, he has it all. 
Yeah, I mean yeah. the comedy stuff when he fought the Mecca mummy and all that stuff. That was that was pretty, <laughs> that was pretty brilliant. I would say that's better than Broken Matt, Matt Hardy and all those things that they did. I thought that the the Mecca mummy stuff was was pretty brilliant. Mecca mummy, huh? Yeah, yeah. Me- Mecca, Mecca mummy, I can still can get over. It's a mummy, mechanical mummy, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, the craziest thing, you know. It was genius. Yeah. I mean, it never. It it was it was legitimately funny. Not just yeah, well, it's pretty so, funny. This is well. Sometimes there are things kind of like the broken universe with Matt Hardy. It's like it's so bizarre. It's funny, but there's not really any substance there, and that's kind of the humor. But or are you supposed to believe it? You yeah, know? yeah. But no, with yeah. the Mecca money, that was that was pretty brilliant, pretty funny stuff. It was, yeah, and there's something you okay. Oh, decide you know. Okay, okay. Let's sit down and enjoy this, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was too. So the other guy that got that has Japanese roots can probably thank New Japan and his WWE run, and I think it really proves a couple of things with AJ Styles. One, how much a platform matters for an athlete to be able to have a a Hall of Fame career, and two, just mm-hmm. how much that Vince Russo style of booking, whether it's through Russo or people like Jeff Jarrett inspired by Russo, how many careers have been lost to uh-huh. all of that late one to keep that late nineties, early two thousands garbage going. Yeah. Because I remember a few years ago I was at the Charlotte Fan Fest and somebody I forget who was doing a Q&A but somebody stood up and said mm-hmm. what about one of the greatest wrestlers ever AJ Styles and I think a lot of people kind of groaned at this guy because you know AJ certainly was great bell to bell but he'd yet to sell himself as a draw yet to sell himself as a legitimate promo presence uh, and those right. type of aspects that are important to be the complete package and Really, all the guy needed, all AJ Styles needed, was the opportunity and the the right platform, and that's what New Japan yeah, gave him. Yeah, the right company, yeah, and the, yeah, the right atmosphere, and it's, yeah, that's true. He um, see, when he signed with New Japan, was it like a three or four years ago? Yeah, that the IWGP Heavyweight Title was, you know, go go to his waist right away, and he proved it. And then uh, New Japan had a plan for him. When AJ Styles comes in, he will be our champion. And he carried it. Well, and he pretty mm-hmm. seamlessly, I mean, you tell me, he pretty seamlessly replaced Fergal Devitt. He replaced Prince Devitt pretty easily. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right, that's right. I and mean, also, was, he uh, started was, looking like a star. Yeah. How big of a draw? And also, yeah. How big of a draw oh. do you think he was in New Japan? New Japan, this popular New Japan era, I think it's always been more of a group effort. Not one top guy like your John Cena or Hulk Hogan or you know some somebody like you know Shawn Michaels and you know Stone Cold. It's more of a group effort. You will have Tanaha- Hiroshi Tanahashi. You had uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. You had Minoru Suzuki. You had AJ Styles. Then uh, the Kazuchika Okada that you have more than was this multiple you know star structure and uh, yeah AJ Styles was was one of them but on, uh, I wouldn't say he was a sole draw it's more of a group effort you know five guys on top 
was a method, I think. Still a draw, you know, but not single draw. You know what I'm saying? Did uh, Kenny Omega replace him pretty easily, or do you think people miss AJ to a degree? Ooh, that's a real good question. Um, replaced, but not forgotten. How's that? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, like I said, it's not a single one superstar structure. It's more of a multi-superstar structure. So one guy leaves, one guy comes in and fills the spot. You know, it happens naturally. And Kenny Omega was, you know, good enough already then, um, two years ago, that he was able to just walk in and get the spot. You know, it's a little different because... Um, uh, AJ Styles was introduced, and he was already star in America, and he was introduced as a star. Whereas Kenny Omega was more of a local, independent guy, you know, in Japan, Canadian, you know, gaijin star who speaks Japanese. It's a very unique individual, you know. Yes, very talented in ring, of course. Hey, speaking of uh, Kenny Omega, uh, is there anything yeah. new on the upcoming Tokyo Dome show? Oh, I'm not going to brag about, you know, what I, you know this thing, but on the New Japan official uh, smartphone um, website thing, that the New Japan official page, they came and did interview with me. Um, I talked about Chris Jericho's career and what this match really means worldwide. See, a lot of Japanese fans look at this match with Japanese market perspective, though, right? But this Kenny Omega Chris Jericho match has more of a worldwide theme to it, worldwide, because Chris Jericho is the only person who could pull this off, much like um, Hulk Hogan 20 years ago. Probably you and I talked about it. Yeah. Hulk Hogan was still in between WWE and WCW. In WrestleMania Nine, he came he came back just for like a very you know short, um, some thirty day, ninety day contract or whatever. That uh, as soon as Yokozuna beat Bret Hart for the title, the new t- title match, you know, right away. Then Hulk Hogan beat Yokozuna in nine, 90, you know, like a 90 seconds or whatever, and then becomes champion. Then flew over to Japan and uh, then worked New Japan date. Only he could do though, right, at the time. Um, I believe Chris Jericho is still under, un, uh, not a performance, he has a special contract, I believe, but on, uh, he is an individual who could actually sit on and have business meeting individually with Vince McMahon. And uh, I don't think Chris Jericho will have a wrestling match anywhere uh, in, in, in the, within the country. Within the United States, he will always be with WWE. But worldwide scale, he can handle himself and negotiate his own then have a you know contract with New Japan, and I'm I'm pretty sure that Vince McMahon gave him green green light for that. Now, one of the things I don't know if you've seen this on Twitter, but there's yeah. been some things on Twitter, and and I don't know how things work in Japan if this is just a for show or what, but there's been some some tweets 
back and forth between Naito and Kevin, Kenny Omega talking about, I think Kenny Omega has talked about his match with Chris Jericho being the double main event. And Naito on, yeah. twi- on, Naito on Twitter is like, no, I beat you this year and you are the semi-main event and we're the main event. We're going on last. We're the, the IWGP title. And he's been kind of defending this position on Twitter. Do you, do you think that's just for show or what's what do you think's going on? Um, yes and no. This can be a very good storyline and angle for the show. But it's some legitimacy and uh, um, truth, you know, feeling to it. Yes, Naito. I'm sure he actually feels that his title match against Okada is the main event. But he recognized the fact that Chris Jericho against Kenny Omega match is more looked at as a special main event worldwide. You know what I'm saying? The audience decide that thing. You see, I'm sure that the Naito and Okada will come come at the end, end of the night. You know that will be the title match. But you cannot, you know, change the fact how people look at it. And a lot of people worldwide looking at Kenny Omega Jericho match as their true main event now. You know what I'm saying? So it's yes and no, and a true feeling for wrestlers though, because. You know, you want to come on, come at the end, and the end of the night. You know, IWGP title match will be the main event of the of the night. It'll be treated as such. But how people look at it, the company has no control over. You know, that uh, many wrestling fans worldwide, yes, Chris Jericho, Kenny Omega match, they look at this match as main event. They can't change that. I'm talking about the perception. That's why this event is very interesting. Do you think this is just working in angles? Um, do they? Do you know if there's any? There, there are probably no problems between Naido and Omega in real life. I don't think so. But the feeling is real that you can say this all wrestling angle and that uh, all the lines are you know fed and you're supposed to say certain things on Twitter's yeah that's always wrestling angle but you got to recognize some truth to it Japanese wrestlers and challenger and champion they they think they're the main event not Jericho and Omega but worldwide yes a lot a lot a lot of people are looking at this Jericho Omega match as something very special and in their head Worldwide, this this match is the main event. So for Japanese fans, obviously, I think we've talked about this, that uh, Naito and uh, Okada is the main event, but how excited are they? How would you put, like, like if Naito and Okada is a nine, what do you think, uh, what do you think Jericho and Omega is? How excited are fans? Oh, just as excited, nine. Yeah, yeah. I am. I look at these two matches, both main event. To me, both matches are main event. Yeah, that's why this is interesting that you can actually have two main event, and people are divided. You know, so it's like not anybody, you know, shoving this match down anybody's throat or anything. But yes, worldwide, Chris Jericho Kenny Omega match is viewed as pretty special main event. Don't you think? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, and, I think the, is very interesting. Yeah. I think the ticket sales uh, would attest yeah. to that. What are your What are your What's your reaction to ticket sales being well ahead of last year? Uh, yeah, number one, New Japan is being very popular this year, and also the um. This is um, as a market. As a market, New Japan is not just for Japanese market anymore. See, there's access television in U.S. and the connection, New Japan's connection with ROH in America, running shows, and also streaming service that the U.S. fans or any wrestling fans all over the world, you can actually watch this New Japan um, streaming service live. You know, so this like, we're talking about this day and age kind of thing, that the wrestling products is viewed worldwide, real time, no delays, no VHS, you know, streaming service for, you know, will feed you the live, you know, live pictures. So. Hardcore fans can actually watch matches from Japan live, so things have changed. So let's talk only for hardcore, yes. Sure. Still, yeah, and also wrestling fans, you know, have a lot of wild imagination, right? So some people say, "Well, Chris Jericho working in New Japan means that uh, New Japan and WWE, WWE will do, you know, start doing business together." Maybe. I kind of don't think so, but uh, you can have that kind of storyline in your head, you know? Or uh, one more story is that, yes, Chris Jericho must have quit WWE. So Chris Jericho may work ROH dates in America. Maybe. I kind of don't think so. Uh, you know, the boat cruise thing that, uh, you know, get on the boat and the cruise with Chris Jericho thing coming up next year. Have you heard about? Have you oh, heard, yeah. heard about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, WWE didn't really give you know didn't really approve you know this one. And the ROH guys are uh, on the boat with Chris Jericho, so that's um, like the hint they're playing with. Yes, ROH wrestler will be appearing in Chris Jericho's deal, you know. But that's I think that's where it stops, you know, and. Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of things that uh, you can enjoy, you know, like uh, speculating, you know. Yeah, wrestling fans are like that, right? And no kidding, right? Yeah, yeah. But the Chris Jericho's deal, yeah, he can cut deal individually, you know, and he will still be with WWE in America, and he, um, yeah, very one of a you know one of a kind guy that we can play, you know, design this. You know, new business deals, Japanese company, and you get okay, then you get Vince McMahon's blessing, and uh, Chris Jericho can handle Japanese business on his own. That make, makes him pretty special. Yeah. Well, why don't we talk about the passing of uh, Don Arakawa? Don Arakawa, okay. So, are we done? We can come back and talk about Chris Jericho because this is a really exciting thing, you know ongoing thing and, oh yeah and, yeah and no we'll, think we'll, we'll, ta- yeah. we'll touch on it each week for sure yeah but don arakawa okay who passed he just passed away actually he's been dead about a month now and the uh, family didn't really announce it you know um don arakawa born 
March 6, 1946. That means he's ex- he was 71. He was 1972 New Japan rookie, along with people like, uh, you know, Fujiwara or Masanobu Chris, or even 15-year-old um, Kuniaki Kobayashi, all those people. See, it, they're all Korgach students. Not every Korogach student became people like Fujiwara or Maeda or Takada. See, all, every single one of these rookies were trained by Korogach in early 70s when New Japan opened. So not everybody became shoot wrestler. Dan Arakawa, real name Makoto Arakawa, was one of those guys that, who played, you know, that uh, opening match guy forever, mm-hmm. you know. And he was the op- opening guy, Ricky Dozen, uh, they're called, because he had a black long tights and similar build to Ricky Dozen. He does a comedy, karate, you know, karate chop and all those things. And uh, his um, tag team partner in, in, in the rookie years, that uh, Masanobu Chris, Coral Gatch was calling those to uh, Heko and Jacko, you know, like an old, old cartoon character. Right, the uh, crows? Yeah, 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 Heko and Jacko. Because they're similar height and similar build, and two rookies, Arakawa and uh, Chris, Masanobu Chris, they were Heko and Jacko. And Coral Gatch was, he, he gave a lot of guys nicknames, you know. Sometimes it's hard to remember everybody's name, right? All rookies. And uh, yeah, Korogach was giving everybody nicknames. Very funny. But he was trained under Korogach, along with, say, 19-year-old rookie Fujinami, all those guys. They were trained under Korogach. So uh, every single you know 1970s rookie were trained by Korogach. And not everybody was shoot fighter, okay? And uh, it's some of the things that uh, that uh, we didn't really cover before, because when you say Korogach student, students or the trained by Korogach, you only imagine one type of wrestler, huh? You know, but um, uh, there are all kinds. There are all kinds. Or even people like Sakaguchi was trained under Korogach. And it's like uh, out of his work, you have no no resemble to Korogachi's wrestling, but every single wrestler uh, throughout the 70s and going to early 80s, they were trained by Korogachi. And uh, I guess he trained people uh, depending on, you know, the guy's size, ability, and just to make a little program, distinguish the program and practice menu, you know, made different practice many accordingly you know what i'm saying very good coach i'm i'm saying right yeah don arakawa he worked for new japan and went to sws and part-time he worked for fujiwara with their friends fujiwara group and pretty much sws uh, super you know world sports um that company and he took independent dates up until next year, I mean, last year or so. Yeah. Yeah. One of the very early Inoki students from 1972. Why do you think he never made it huge? Uh, You know, he um, didn't look like he wanted to be. Some guys kind of enjoy being second, third match guys forever. 
I don't know if he really enjoyed it, but uh, he understood that was his spot. And uh, there was one time that uh, he challenged the Cobras IWGP Junior Heavyweight title match. Uh, that was his one of the very few title match. But uh, all in all, out of this 40-year wrestling career he had, he his spot was second match or third match, more or less comedy wrestling match that uh, he took pride to be in that position, I believe. You know, not not every single wrestler want to be your Naito or, you know, Okada. Some guy recognize your own, you know, own spot and you do that forever. Some guys are Captain New Japan. Yeah, I guess, I guess, <laughs> in different reasons too. Yeah. But uh, Don Arakawa, Don, Don means uh, boss. So uh, boss Arakawa, there's a hidden meaning that the, he was uh, always a boss at the dojo. You know what I'm saying? Kind of guy who comes to dojo every single day and work out. You know, and he's just as good as any athletes in that, in that dojo, you know, environment. But in professional ring, he never demanded his position higher. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, so it's good to go because, you know, go to, when I was a little kid, go to wrestling match, go to New Japan, and he, this Arakawa or Fujiwara, those people are not on television, but when you go actually go to New Japan show and watch, you know, match from first match, second match, third match that are not televised, they were tons of good wrestlers. You know, I enjoyed it as a kid. Wow, there are more guys that we haven't see, we don't see on TV. So it kind of was good to you know know there are people who's not on t- TV but really fun to watch. So we got some questions yeah. here from the hashtag yes. Ask Fumi, and you can find us on Twitter at Fumi oh, Hikodayo, okay. Fumi H I K O D A Y O, Fumi Hikodayo. And Jim Valley. You can also find me on Twitter at Jim Valley. And be sure to share the podcast. If you're enjoying it, please help us. It's all organic. And uh, we'll uh, hopefully make it grow in the new years. We keep things going. I hope so, yes. Yeah, the response has been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. hey, we have a question we haven't gotten around to because we've been had so much news lately. But this one is from <laughs> October. It's from Guy Bogard. Sorry, Guy. It took so long. This is kind of a hard one, I know, so I don't know how much time I can spend on this one. But Guy asked, would Naito and Omega be considered bigger stars today than Nakamura and Styles before they left for WWE? So I guess he's kind of equating Naito replacing Nakamura and Omega replacing Styles. And how did the replacements... Assuming. Yeah, kind of assuming their roles. Yeah, yeah. How did how do you how do you think fans have accepted? Yeah, it's kind of like you ask this this person. I don't. Uh, it depends on how old this person or how many years they've been. You know, he's been watching wrestling. That you know, if there was a opening spot for Randy Orton or somebody, uh, yes, AJ Styles will go in in a spot or Jinder Mahal or somebody or you have your Kevin Owens and all those things, right? But um, uh, yes, Nakamura and AJ Styles, they were stars, you know, and then still is stars. And I cannot really compare those two to Kenny Omega and Naito because they quickly filled the spot. You know, the, those two wrestlers left. There's opening, huh? And uh, when you buy, let's say, um, when you go into New Japan house show, 
you buy program or you buy ticket with picture on it. And the poster boys on that, you know, ticket. Yes, Naito and Omega and Okada's on, on, on the ticket. Yes, all those three. But the, the ticket used to look like the, two years ago, even just two years ago. Nakamura's face on it. Um, Tanahashi's face on it. Uh, AJ Styles pictures on it. So, it, yes, physically, Dave... Naito and Omega have re- replaced those two, but I can't say if they're actually bigger star than AJ and Nakamura were. It's hard to say. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. they're not equal. You know, it's two different wrestlers, two different styles. Um, if they are back here, yes, probably will have a single match against each other. So it's really hard. It's not like your pieces of puzzle. Each individual is different and unique, and this is a human being that you cannot compare Nakamura and Naito's today's Naito and which one's a bigger star. You know, Naito has longer history in front of the Japanese audience, and Naito super hot last two years. Kenny Omega, yes, still growing superstar, but AJ Styles was introduced to New Japan Ring. Uh, first appearance, yes, he was already a star and got the IWGP title right away. And Kenny Omega is a t- type of wrestler that people witness from the mid-card to this card to winning this title, going to this title program and going you know, going to main event. And Kenny Omega is still growing process. And he's today's main guy. And so it's not really fair to compare you know, somebody who left and who's on the main program. It's really hard to compare, though. Not very good answer, huh? I'm sorry. No, it is hard. It is. I think think you have to give them more time to, one, see where the business is going to go with them. Does it keep... If it keeps going higher, then I think you have your answer. Yeah, and Kenny Omega still isn't IWGP champion either. Yeah. He's on the main event. And uh, now that he's IWGP US champion, which is new champion, new you know, new championship belt. So it's really hard to compare, you know? Yeah, I think time will yeah. tell. Yeah, time will tell. But those two, yeah, Naito, super, super hot this year and last year, last two years, always been the main guy, you know, the whole focal point of, you know, the, the, the storyline. Whereas, see, Hiroshi Tanahashi still has it, and he, if he has one more run as champion, he can run with it. But uh, on purpose, he is on the mid card doing nothing at this point. You know, it's just the way where they are laid out on a, on a lineups. I think. Yeah. One of these days, we should do a story. We should do. A, we should talk about guys who were meant to be top guys that <coughs> that didn't quite click. Guys who just kind of maybe missed out, but. We'll do that some other time. Japanese or American? Both? Uh, e- either one. Whoever. Whoever in, in America was meant to be, or ever, whoever, you know, in, in All Japan or New Japan or whomever was slotted to be a top guy and then didn't quite make quite, it. Yeah, uh, like, like for example, I guess one guy that I thought was going to be probably where Okada is, uh, well, maybe not quite that big, but I thought was going to be a huge star was Marafuji. But that didn't exist. Oh, Marufuji. Uh, yeah, I thought that he would be really equally big. talented or even yeah. more talented. Yeah. More talented. Then he became also uh, 
You see, he's a producer and booker of Pro Wrestling Noir. Right. And a whole bunch of the, the similar size guys were brought in. See, he's basically, Maruhuji is basically junior heavyweight body, though. Right, but we've seen like Fujinami and other people rise up. I don't know. I just thought that he would right. be able to do it, but I also think that timing. I think he came along at a at the wrong time. And wrong maybe, timing. Yeah. yeah. If he was a little bit younger, things might have worked out. But that's a, that's a story. Or for a if time. there was a single match, single match program between Maruhuji and late Misawa or somebody. And right. If Fuji, Fuji, you know, Maruhuji actually beat. Misawa in the ring, and there was a handing of torch match towards there, and then the people look at him a little differently. Yeah, you, you know what I'm saying? Yep. So it's, it's a lot to do with timing. Yes. Yep. That's a that's yeah. a yeah. I always liked him. I'm a big fan of his. <clears throat> I liked him a lot. Oh, I'm a, I'm a big fan. I mean, so talented. Yeah. So talented, and some people say that pants does it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you're a champion wrestler, you know, it's you true. are going to have tights and ring shoes, not that pants, pants it's thing, true. you know? It's a good point. Yeah, you know? Yeah, because if you're a champion, you're going to look like champion. Wrestling tights, trunks, boots, you know, all those things. Not that shiny yeah. pants, you know? It makes make him look kind of independent wrestler, huh? Kind of like... Almost. Like all those guys that used to mimic the Hardys. <clears throat> Yeah, pants. These, these guys are wearing pants and T-shirts. Or well, we're, we're, you're wearing uh, the pantyhose in your arms. <laughs> well, you let's know? move on to the uh, the next uh, Ask Fumi. It's from John Gray on Twitter. And yes. it's hashtag Ask Fumi. So be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank Fumi, you. Go okay. Down. And also Jim Valley. So, but he asks, if you can discuss the UWFU Cosmos Tokyo Dome show. Yes, 1989. Yeah. Yes. It was November 29th. November, November 29th, 1989. So it was even before, you know, New Japan's January 4th tradition. You know what I'm saying? They got on the Tokyo Dome deal right away. And they got, what, uh, 60,000 people with all those, you know, not quite MMA yet, but something in between. Traditional wrestling, if you want to call it work shoot. I don't like that word that much, but uh, there's no other way to explain it, right? So work shoot era into a more blurish, you don't know what era, into complete MMA. And that uh, UWF was the bridge, and the Maeda, Takada, Fujiwara were the very first Japanese wrestlers who talked, you know, openly talked about what was wrong with traditional pro wrestling. You know what I'm saying? And they started, they changed the in ring work uh, so drastically that their matches looked so legit, didn't it? And some people thought it was really, really boring because you don't have your drop kicks, you don't have your body slams anymore. Suplexes are great, but so hard to get in. And uh, so people, they they've given people a chance to really sit down and think. If wrestling matches were for real, a lot of these spectacular moves don't work or something. You know what I'm saying? So they've changed the the perspective of wrestling so drastically, and uh, people believed in it religiously. 
UWF was the only group that is going to change the face of professional wrestling. They are all real and this and that. And <laughs> that was an era that the, so many male wrestling fans believed in UWF. It still remains though, that uh, the dream of UWF and uh, feeling about Maeda and Takara still remains to this day. So how did the UWF go out of business so soon after so, running so the So quick after yeah. that, huh? Yeah, there's uh, actually like, that's so hard. To, that's not the question I could answer in one minute because books being written about this whole thing. You know, books and books, not just a book, but the, many books have written in different opinion on it. That the 89 November, they had Tokyo Dome show and had 60,000 people legit. And the January, January of 1991, they were gone. You know, there was a meeting at the Maeda's house sometimes in January of 1991 that the management at the time was to make it to make the story short and simple that the management of the uh, uwf company was stealing money from the boys and they were going to kick this person out of there it was going to be wrestlers company and we're going to switch the structure running business you know uwf shows were great but the management they weren't doing much so maeda was going to make this company wrestlers company and hire new people and have more um that everybody will know how much they're making and then uh, they're gonna make some real um change the democracy but at the at the Maida's house, you know, this is January 1991 meeting, something happened, and UWF split into three different groups. Maeda's Rings, Fujiwara's Fujiwara Gumi, and Takada and Rest became UWF International. He called them UWFI. Then out of another one year later, um, Fujiwara Gumi was split into another two groups. And Funaki, Masakatsu Funaki and Minoru Suzuki and his guys uh, formed the Pancras, which was the beginning of the, the MMA professional wrestling. And very interesting people, though. But the, the books have been written about it, you know, as to why they had to break up. You know, the books and books have been written about it. And then uh, uh, each book has, you know, pretty good points, but none of them really fo answer fully. So this is a question that the people will be playing with, you know, another decades to come. Not, not good enough, huh? No, I think that that's good considering, <laughs> the, considering the time. So yeah. as we talked about, we're gearing up for January 4th at the Tokyo Dome, yes. Wrestle Kingdom yes. 12. Uh, we worked our way up to uh, 1993, I think, on the last show. So I think we want to talk yeah, about yeah, yeah. touch base on 1994 and Battlefield. Battlefield in T Tokyo Dome, yes, yes. Where against Inoki. Where yeah. do these names come from? How does how does Battlefield or yeah. wrestling don't talk? I think New Japan people, you know, have this um, big meeting about this fantastic story or you know like uh what the super warrior 
I love all the Japanese names. names. Yeah, like the bridges. And <laughs> I love even even the factions, the four pillars of heaven. I mean, all of those things are just. Ah, uh, okay. It's, it's awesome. Three musketeers. Yeah, well, the musketeers. That's that's <laughs> yeah. fairly standard. But I mean, the pillars of heaven. I mean, that's that's just the best. Yeah, four pillar and yeah. like a big building, right? You know, like a kingdom. Yeah, and wrestle. Yeah, because uh, people. Yeah, well, people know about you know Baba Kingdom. You know. It's a big company, but actually only, you know, run by Mr. and Mrs. Baba. You know, such a big company, but still mom and dad company, huh? Yeah. And New Japan, uh, Inoki's company, always had more company-company structure with a lot of people. And a lot of Americans, like Vader or Bam Bam Bigelow and those and such, they're always saying, too many bosses, too many bosses. Yeah. Yeah, because at the end of the day, they don't know who, you know, what person you know, they, they, they should be talking to, you know? Too many bosses, right? So one of the so things with... Uh, oh, God, sorry. I thought you were Yeah, sorry. go ahead. I apologize. Uh, Battlefield. No, no, no. So one of the things that I want to touch on just briefly in the opening match of Battlefield, and a lot of people have questioned why yeah. he's not going to retire at the Tokyo Dome, but Great Kabuki, has got his retirement oh, show. Oh, right, I, right. Like, for example, Meltzer is wondering why he didn't just do a blow-off at the Tokyo Dome for his last match. Do you have, do you have any thoughts on that, whether that he's doing his own show oh. as opposed to going out on a on a big stage? Ah, I guess that uh, if you retire at New Japan, it's just a retirement uh, match itself and probably uh, put you in, uh, you know, a dark match, like a you know, very big battle royal. Yeah. You know, something as a retirement. Um, for this, um, Greg Kabuki's retirement show is Pro Wrestling Noah. He actually is promoting. He's the focus. Know? Yeah, yeah, and then do the, all the ceremonies and the video footage on the video walls and uh, more people can actually come in and give them flowers or, you know, like uh, old yeah. rivals, other friends or, you know, the people who he had matched against decades ago, those retiree people be at the building. And uh, I guess having retirement match at Tokyo Dome with New Japan, it's kind of like you're mangled into WrestleMania atmosphere and you only have two minutes of it. Yeah. This way you yeah. can. It's okay because he was in. Yeah, and then he was in Tokyo Dome Battle Royal, um, Dark March Battle Royal last three years or so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People like him. And also, you got to remember New Japan Universe is so much like WWE Universe. Today's New Japan fans only follow New Japan wrestling. You know, and Great Kabuki is a great, you know, historical legend's name from the past, but they don't necessarily know who he is. Sure. You know? Yeah, I do, and older fans do, but today's New Japan's fans are much like WWE Universe. Today's fan, today's product, today's superstar. So the main event of Battlefield is Tenru mm-hmm, versus mm-hmm. Enoki. How did they how did they build that up? Were there any angles or it was just two major I stars? I guess so cuz last last you know few years leading into this one Tenru had single match against uh people like Fujinami and uh the previous year was probably 
Chou Shu against Fujinami, huh? Chou Shu against Fujinami, Chou Shu against Tenru. And the three years before that was Fuji, Fujinami against Fujinami against Flair and Ricky Chosha against Taiga Jit Singh. Um, Inoki, this is, I think, the very first Tenru against Inoki single match at the Tokyo Dome, you know, event. And Tenru going over on Inoki clean, very rare. You know, with powerbomb, he pinned Inoki. You know, that doesn't happen too often. So. How big of a surprise was that? Ooh, to me, it wasn't much of a surprise, you know, how I was wondering how they could get out of it. You know, like Inoki should not beat Tenru at his, uh, this time, you know, because he was 50-something and half-retired, you know, politician. Only comes in, you know, once or twice for the big show. Still main event. So this time, if Inoki and Tenru met, single match situation, situation yes, Tenru should win this one. Yeah, it was okay though. It was a good match, and uh, they ran a short angle during the match that uh, Inoki gives him, you know, give Tenru sleeper hold and actually, you know, make him sleep. And referee has to wake him up, you know, kind of thing. Very beginning of the match. So, in Inoki's fans back their mind, Inoki could already beat him. You know, at the very beginning of the match with sleeper hold. But Tenru woke up and started the match again, and he beat Inoki. So there was some storyline to it. And then, of course, uh, Hashimoto against Chono for the IWGP. Chono IWGP title match. Yeah. That happened so many times, I can't remember the content of the match, you know. Right. <laughs> Chono against Hashimoto. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I've watched many times. Yeah. Same single match. I can't remember which one was which. <laughs> they, then how Kogan against Fujinami? Yeah, that's a that's a, that was an interesting match because I mean, Fujinami's got to be one of the smaller Hulk Hogan major match opponents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then yeah. it was good. To have, yeah, how Kogan wants to have single match, and he has to win, right? So, right. Yeah. Did he have problems Fujinami. selling for? Did he have problems selling for Fujinami given his size? He sells. Oh, he sells a lot for Fujinami. Uh, actually, those two are same age. They're both born in 1953, exact same age, and they were living in upstairs and downstairs of the same apartment in Tampa at one point, and they were friends. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, oh, Hulk Hogan sells a lot for Fujinami. And actually, if you watch Hulk Hogan's footage from New Japan, he wrestles a lot more. Yeah, I think a lot of people have com- That's what I was going to ask you. I think a lot of people have commented. Yeah, when he comes to Japan, yes. Whenever people see him in that, they, they talk about that. And I, you know, I get it. It's like if you don't have to kill yourself, don't kill yourself in the United States. But did, how did, what was his attitude about having to work more in the United States, in the Japan? Was he, was he happy to prove himself or did he see it as an Oh, really happy, really happy to prove himself. And also he knows it. He knows that, that Hulk Hogan, he knows that, that this video footage will go to America and people will be watching it and will be talking about it. And a lot of people assume that to see how Kogan can't work. Though WWE match in a match, three punches, big boots, leg drop, go home, right? I mean, every match pretty much the same, right? Yep. But uh, when he comes to Japan, 
he wrestles. You know, wrestles as in, you, uh, you know, uh, color and elbow tie-up into basic, you know, you know, side headlock into your hammerlock, go behind hammerlock, you know, top wrist lock, takedown, and all these things. He does it. He really does it like he means it. And he kind of enjoys it. Look, I can do all these things. Then he is pretty good, actually. And also, backstory that uh, all the Japanese fans know that uh, how Kogan was Hiro Matsuda student from Tampa, Florida. The other thing is that he also uses yeah. the axe bomber as a finish. Yeah, in right. Japan. The mm-hmm. the, uh, the uh, clothesline that just hits the top of your head. Yeah, yeah. It was the era, of, you know, that uh, how Kogan was in, first introduced to New Japan ring. I believe it was like uh, either end of 79 or 1980, beginning of 1980. He was a tag team partner of Stan Hansen before Stan Hansen jumped to all Japan. And uh, he was like, how Kogan was always treated as how Kogan's like a younger brother type, up and coming superstar. And uh, he needed to adapt, you know, Stan Hansen's Lariat clothesline, and he wanted to make it something new. So it's a clothesline, but it's an axe bomber. And like I said, it kind of hits, hits the forehead, the top of the head, as opposed to yeah. the chest and the neck. It's a higher clothesline. Right. Right, right. And also, it was like, uh, you know, Cart Henning's father, Larry the X. That was actually the movie, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, how Kogan has his own career, he thinks, in Japan. I think he, you know, what he did in New Japan Ring. He used to come to Japan, what, 90 days at a time. And he stayed in Kyo Plaza Hotel, and uh, he just, he um, walked around like local. You know, before he was a huge star in America. Well, and I think that's what a lot of people like Meltzer has brought this up just recently on one of his podcasts when someone asked yeah. about the AWA title and Vern Gagne, why they didn't give it to Hulk Hogan, blah, blah, blah. And I think right, right, Dave, right. And maybe you can elaborate on this is that actually Hogan was really more making more money with New Japan and really more of a New Japan wrestler and actually only in the AWA some of the time in the United States, but he was actually more involved in Japan in the in the early 80s, 82, 83, yeah, before, 82, before yes. he won the WWF title. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But Hulk Hogan, it was true too, though. Hulk Hogan really wanted AWA world title too. Then Vern wouldn't give it to him. What? He actually wanted the AWA world title, and Vern wouldn't give it to him. So he told you this? Yeah, he wanted to be a champion in multi places. So do you think Vern would have given him the title? Well, I don't. I, he would have stayed. Wait a second. You're going against everything that's incredibly <laughs> reported here. So let's uh, let's let's back up here. You've thrown me you've thrown me for a loop, uh, and I think yeah. there are a lot of okay. So so let me let me back up. Let me do this. So Dave says yeah, and has always yeah. said that that obviously Vern had a deal with Giant Baba All Japan. Yeah, and Hulk Hogan was working for New Japan Antonio Inoki. And yeah, but uh, it didn't. It, it never mattered to Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan winning a title in Minneapolis, he will be champion in Minneapolis. He wouldn't take it to Japan, is what you're saying. 
he might have, you know, bring a belt. See, Adrian Adonis actually brought his physical San Antonio championship belt that looks just like Harley Race's NWA title. Remember? Right. Yeah. He, Adrian Adonis brought the physical belt to Japan. He didn't defend the title. It could have happened if he won the title in St. Louis, I mean, St. Paul or Minneapolis, how Kogan would have gone, you know, gone ahead and he brought the physical belt to Japan just to show people. Yeah, but wouldn't that create problems with Giant Baba and Vern? Probably, probably. Yeah, so but the Hulk did, Hogan. When did he want really the belt? Though. When did he want the AWA belt? All through '83. Do you think he would have dropped the title though? Uh, probably would have left without losing it. Right there, you go. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. That would have been terrible for Vern. It would have been terrible for AWA yeah. era, yes, AWA kingdom, yes. That's fascinating. But, uh, Vern Gagne didn't really trust him, you know, you know, as his, like, one of them. The funny thing is, though, in 1983, Vern and Hulk Hogan never had written contract. It was a phone call era. You know, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll be there, you know. And uh, he telegraphed from Japan to Verngania in summer of 83 or so that the, I ain't coming back. He telegraphed that too. Yeah. And actually, funny thing is, Vince McMahon flew over to Japan and he signed, Hulk Hogan signed WWE contract in Japan. Yeah, probably Vince needed a little hotel room where you know he those two would not be bothered. Yeah. But that also meant the end of business relationship between New Japan and uh, New Japan and WWF though, because Hulk Hogan would be making less and less appearance after he was champion. Then eventually, Vince McMahon pulled all the WWE guys out of. The, you know, New Japan ring, eventually. Well, let's, and this was the show, wasn't this afterwards that the, we talked about this last week? Was this the show where Hulk Hogan called the uh, the world title a toy? Or was that, was that early? That was, that was last year, wasn't it? That was 80, that was 93, wasn't it? Right, it was. Okay. He's still, uh, beginning of 94, he was freelancing. Yeah. And spring of 94, finally signed with WW, WCW. Yeah. Yeah. So he was freelancing. Did they... But he was making, what, 100,000 a match in, with New Japan? Over 100,000 a match. That's a lot of money. Even for Hulk Hogan, that's a lot of money? Well... It's Brody, people like Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen didn't make that kind of money per match. You know? Do you think, did 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 Inoki or anybody involved with New Japan try to woo Hulk Hogan to stay with New Japan full-time? Or do you think he was just too expensive and you just had to use him too on Too expensive. Yeah. Yeah, too expensive. Also, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant should not be regular. You know, at that point in time, that they could just come in one or sh you know two shots a year to have very special match, not a program like going back and forth. You know what I'm saying? 
always made guest appearance and had single match and he has to win. Very limited, huh? Where would you put Hulk Hogan as far as his career in Japan? How popular, how legendary, just Japan. Oh, how leg- huge, huge. Probably bigger than Andre the Giant in a lot of ways because he actually beat Anthony Nokin in his prime time and also was the very first IWGP you know, world tournament first annual winner. I'm talking about 1983 match. And also he was a tag team partner of Inoki previous year and won the tag team in the Madison Square Garden tag team tournament. Inoki and Hulk Hogan won a championship. And uh, yes, he had the Japanese costume, black trunks with Ichiban Japanese writing on it. And he works differently. And uh, when he was in Japan, he becomes Japanese wrestler. Like, you know, Hulk Hogan treated Japanese market very differently. Next year, we will have to do the 35th anniversary, because I think next year will be the 35th anniversary of his IWGP title, and we should, we'll definitely, uh, yes, we'll yeah. do a show on that. We'll do it, we'll, we'll make a note okay, to do okay. that in the future, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah to, if, if, you know, wrestling fans in America think differently, we should, you know, make sure that we point out the fact that Hulk Hogan really took Japanese market very ser- seriously. You know, much like Chris Jericho was here, or now today's superstar Kenny Omega. See, these stars came to Japan, and they were here to stay. You know, Hulk Hogan, like Chris Jericho of '90s, Hulk Hogan used to come over here when he was 26, 27 years old. He came to Japan and stayed 90 days at a time, and got on the bus, did everything with Japanese wrestlers, worked out, you know, worked out with Japanese wrestlers, ate Japanese food, and mingled with Japanese fans. He was like Japanese star here, before he was huge star in America. So it's a little different, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's a two two different career almost. Well, we'll talk about that uh, maybe next year. We'll make a note, and we'll talk about that maybe once we get through yeah, the Tokyo yeah. Dome. Yeah, uh, Another yeah. big match, the Steiner Brothers. Yes. Again, they're kind of, I think they're sort of in between things as well. Steiner Brothers. Hase and Muto. Yeah, Muto this time. We're, we're still talking about Battlefield in Tokyo Dome, 1994, January 4th. Yes. Yep. Hawk Okay. Uh, Steiner Brothers against Hase and Muto, and Steiner Brothers went over. Yeah. IWGP tag titles. And there was a Power Warrior and, and Hawk Warrior, Hellraisers against um, that uh, Hernandez and Scott Norton. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Hercules but Hernandez. how often did uh, Muto team with Hase? Oh, they were, they were teaming, you know, probably a couple years before this. And they were IWGP tag team champions at the time. Right. Yeah. Which they were it, both, yeah. Who do you yeah, think natural. Had, who do you think it was a better team, Hase and Mudo or Hase and Sasaki? Ooh, Hase. See, Muto looks like single match superstar, right? Yeah. So he was like, didn't come off like a natural tag team. Whereas Hase and Kensuke Sasaki, both Ricky Choshu's, you know, straight protege. So people look at Hase and Kensuke more of a team. Yeah. Than uh, Hase Muto combination. I think that I agree. I think they were a better team. 
Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Hellraisers, which we talked about last week with Hawk and mm-hmm. uh, Power Warrior, taking on, yeah. and this was interesting, just Jurassic the, Powers. The Jurassic Powers. Talk about the Jurassic yeah. Powers. Yeah. Hercules Hernandez and Scott Norton. And Hercules became, had just uh, left the, the WWF after being there for I years, guess, years yeah. and years and years, like seven, eight years in the WWF. And here he is in New Japan. As the How good do you think were the Jurassic Powers? Um, they were put together by Masa Saito, basically, of course. And people, people probably don't know, but uh, Hercules mm-hmm. Hernandez was another Hiro Matsuda student when he started. So he was like more like a trained by Japanese type wrestler. And he was a perfect, you know, tag team partner for Scott Norton. Who else can you, you know, I know sort of um I know, recommend for Scott Norton's partner. It's hard. You know. Did fans He's not a tag like team the, wrestler? Did fans huh? like this combination? Did they take to the Jurassic Powers? Yeah, cuz uh, they had they were given mild push, you know, and also Hernandez and Scott Norton had a matching costume, so they came off like tag team this time. And going against, you know, Hellraisers. Hell, Hellraisers needed another rival, rival team. You know, there was no rival team like equal to them. Kind of like the powers of pain. Yeah, players, yeah, you yeah. need that. Yeah. Yeah, or demolition or somebody. Yeah. 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 Uh, another so you interesting... always have... Yeah. No, go ahead. You always have what? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I got nothing. I was moving on, but if you want to keep talking about the Jurassic Powers... No, no, no. Jurassic Powers had their run, you know? It was good. Another... And there was... Oh, there was what? Liger against Tiger Mask? Right, that's what I was going to say. The mask versus mask match. Was there was there any doubt who was going to win this match? Um, It was uh, special, but not so special, huh? Because yeah. Liger against Tiger Mask, you know, they would do it. And this Tiger Mask actually was a Kanemoto Tiger Mask instead of the current Tiger Mask. Yeah. Yeah, so they, the Kanemoto took his mask off, so uh, everybody knew that was Kanemoto and growing out of Tiger Mask character at this point, you know, before Fourth Tiger Mask came, came along. That's one thing I've wondered is the current Tiger Mask has been Tiger Mask a long time, hasn't he? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, right from the beginning. Why is that? Because he's an um, actual Sayama student. Satoru Sayama's actual student from the Tashuto, you know, MMA sport. So does he just want to be Tiger Mask? He doesn't want to go on to have his own career? Uh, he wanted to be Tiger Mask and also Sayama, the original Tiger Mask. Yeah. And Satoru Sayama made him, you are the Tiger Mask from now on. And yes, sir, kind of thing. And uh, there was an agreement that that guy will be Tiger Mask right from the beginning. And they'll probably keep passing that down, correct? There'll probably be another Tiger Mask at some point. Yeah, or we, they have that the anim, an animated version that the different mask in Ibushi doing it today, right? Yeah. So it's kind of confusing because you have, you know, today's Tiger Mask, but you have another uh, Japanese anime 
character tiger masks you know popping up so it's kind of almost confusing but uh we will have one or two tiger masks always in this market <laughs> so it's I not think. the it's not the last match on the show but i think it's the last interesting match and the last uh single match i guess other than the super strong machine oh. but Brutus, nice. Brutus, Brutus Beefcake. Beef, beefcake against Black Cat, huh? Obviously a favorite of Hulk Hogan. <laughs> you have to see Hulk Hogan wouldn't come in all by himself. You have to have Jimmy Hart. You have to have Brutus Beefcake. And the, the trio has to be brought in. They, uh, they hang out at a hotel and then they travel together. And uh, yeah, the Hulk Hogan always need two guys. You know, yeah, he cannot be traveling alone. No. Yeah. It's interesting. People knew, too. When Hulk Hogan comes, somebody like Bruno Spivke has to come with him or something. Yeah. yeah. Did did he get over with the crowd? I mean, it seems like he doesn't. No, no. Yeah. It's just, no. It's just, I don't think so. Yeah, I would think. If I had that... some, some, it seems way political even to have him on the show. Yeah. Yeah. But that's the only way they can have Hulk Hogan and then and, and, uh, Hulk Hogan want to have his friends with him at all time. Yeah. It is what it is, I guess. Let's. Uh... Yeah, I guess. Uh, interesting <laughs> that the well, uh, AWA Hulk Hogan theory, we should go over one more time in some you know, weeks to come. Yeah, yeah? We'll, we'll do that. Let's, uh, let's def- that uh, we should do a show on Hulk Hogan in Japan. Yeah, yeah. We should definitely do that. But let's uh, let's wrap up with this. Let's do one more show. Tokyo yeah. Dome, 1995, Battle 7. Why is this Battle show, 7. Why is the show called, called Battle, Battle 7? Why is it called Battle 7? Because it's the fourth New Japan. The seventh, the seventh time in, at the Tokyo Dome? Is that it? Uh, it's the fourth January 4th one. Um, yeah, I guess it might be the seventh at Tokyo Dome, if you, if you count the others. Yeah, Yeah, when you count the 1989 and 1990, not January 4th, but right. the two more Tokyo Dome show. So Battle 7 seems like the seventh Tokyo Dome show. And Inoki was not on the card for the first time. But he did come in at suit and tie. And at the, the at the end of the night, he brought the championship belt and gave it to Hashimoto. He wasn't in the uh, beat he was in the the BVD tournament. Uh wait a minute, Inoki. That's right, Inoki. Right, Inoki had matches. Then he wore the suit and tie and came back in the ring at the end of the night. Then right. Yeah, because. Yeah, I see um, Inoki against Gerald Golder. Yeah. Yeah. Mini mini MMA tournament, right? Right. So what is BVD, for those who don't know? The Final Countdown BVD tournament. It's right. A BVD is like underwear. Underwear oh. BVD. <laughs> Literally, the underwear sponsored this. Yes. Okay. Underwear. The white brief yeah. BVD. I, that BVD. I have warned them in my They're lifetime. The, they were the sponsor. Yeah, that was the sponsor. That's hilarious. <laughs> when you say BVD, it's like a white underwear, like a brief underwear. Yeah. It's that's them. That's them. Yeah, but they dropped some money. Uh, yeah, they were official sponsor for a while. Yeah, BVD kind of sound funny, huh? Are they popular underwear in Japan? I have no idea. Yes. Well, yes. there you go. Yeah. yeah. All right, then. Maybe, I don't know. 
trying to think. Yeah, who, who but would they be, were, yeah. Who would be a good choice to do a BVD commercial in Japan? Like Hawk? In fact, oh, the Muto and Chono and Hashimoto, they, they were all doing it. Uh, if you look back, uh, New Japan's program you can buy at the building. Yeah. There's a back the back the color page program. There was a underwear, t- you know, advertising with Muto on it, or some issues Chono doing it, or Hashimoto doing it. So they all had DVD, you know, advertisement. I do not want to see uh, Hashimoto in his okay. DVDs. Much respect to him as a wrestler, but I don't want to see BVD. Him. No one wants right. to see oh, Muto had the BVD commercial, yes. Sure. Why not? Yeah. So anyway, uh, uh, let's see yes. here. So oh, they, I forgot about this. The UWA World Welterweight Championship, Otani against El Samurai. That's a good match. Oh, yeah, UWA. Huh? Probably at the time, this no longer existed, huh? Yeah. You know, in Mexico, UWA. Yeah, but that was a junior heavyweight title match. Shinjiro Otani against El Samurai. Yes, opening, no, opener. Yeah, just opener. Yeah, yeah. That's... But there was IWGP junior heavyweight title match right away that uh, Norio Honaga against Great Sasuke. Yeah. Yeah, so the same card. So they had two junior heavyweight title. Oh, this 95, January 4th, Battle 7, the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, an interesting card. Yeah, you can yeah. see all of these people who would really kind of make their mark as far as changing a lot of the, the junior heavyweight style. When you look at Otani and Sasuke and everything, the influence that they would have in yeah. just a couple of Even years. Even Nuria Honaga, yes. Yeah, Honaga, yeah. Ah, uh, very interesting. Kanemoto, yeah, still junior heavyweight at the time. Yeah. Kanemoto against Yuji Nagata, single match. Wow. Very interesting. Tiger Jit Singh and Tiger Jit Singh Jr. on the card. And Sting. Now, now is that uh, Tiger Jit Singh Jr.? Is that Tiger Ali Singh? Is that the guy? Ali Singh, yes, yes, yeah. yes. That was him. Yeah. Did he make it in Japan? I know that, you know, obviously his dad is a super legend in Japan. Super, did that, yeah. Did that help him? Uh, he was always son of that guy. So yeah, didn't really have important long his own career or anything. Yeah, it was too big of a the father was too big of a star, and plus Tiger Ali Singh didn't really spend time here. You know, every time he was here, he was always with his father. So the only way he was being looked at was Tiger Jit Singh's son. So, uh, I guess to talk about the singles match semifinal to the final countdown BVD tournament, Sting defeated uh, Tony Palamore. Right, right. What happened to that guy? I have no idea. Yeah. Sting doing the MMA tournament ish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, strange. Sting wrestled a yeah, lot more on the Tokyo Dome than I realized. Yeah. You know, against Sting? Oh, wow, right? Yeah. Wow, Inoki I'm... against Sting actually happened. And Inoki beat Sting with Sleeper Hold. <laughs> that doesn't sound too exciting, but uh, you know. it's a last in translation guy, too, huh? Probably Sting was. He looks like Star, but never really hard, breathtaking, good match in Japan, you know? You think, did he never get over in Japan that much? Is that what you're saying? He's over. He's popular to the extent that people look at him as a star from America, 
you know, all the videotapes or the wrestling magazine or the picture from the States, WCW photos or videotapes, they are, you know, Sting's always treated as a guy. He's a superstar. You know, so he's being brought in as a, as a kind of a, you know, guest attraction. And uh, he's always on Tokyo Dome card. And on paper, Inoki against Sting, single match, sounds like a, sound like a dream card but when you actually see the match there's so much dream card right you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i mean with the exception of maybe that tag team match against the steiner brothers with luger in 91 and his matches with flair i mean really sting doesn't have too many great matches in his history no but the guy come off like star yeah. in america and in japan here, or he came off like a superstar at the WrestleMania about four years back. Yeah, for, I mean, there's definitely a generation of fans who grew up with Sting and see him as a major star. That can't be denied, but you definitely right. look at Sting's numbers and what he drew and things, and you can see that he wasn't probably... The content of matches, right. Right, he wasn't quite as big as I think some of those fans think, but he was always on TV. Well, some wrestlers are like that. You know, you look like a star and uh, being treated like a star, he comes off like a superstar, and uh, yeah, but not quite the actual content of the match, huh? Another tag team match, Chono and Sabu against Junji Hirata and Fujinami. That's a, that's kind mm. of a... kind of interesting. Yeah, the, they're like uh, see Fujinami and uh, who was his partner? Junji Hirata. Oh, Junji Hirata, super strong. See, those yeah. two probably didn't fit into any other you know card or something. You know, so they were thrown together or something, huh? Chono think- was yeah. Chono was starting his own heel faction, and uh, the first American he brought in was Sabu to be his partner. So that one made sense. Chono and Sabu as a team at the time made sense. But the Fujinami and Junji Hirata, that's uh, just thrown together, you know. They also had a kind of a strongman match as Hawk took on one of his buddies from Minnesota, Scott Norton. Yeah. Again, probably mm-hmm. just a power match with no no surprise Hawk going over. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they they could have do they could have done more though with that. But uh yeah, Hawk Warrior single match against Scott Norton, huh? Very interesting. Well and they and had also a, they and, had a tag the year before, so Yeah, and uh Animal showed up too as as Hawk's second. So it was like a beginning of animal making comeback, you know. And the following year, I believe, you know, Animal Hawk and Kensuke Sasaki Power Warrior together as a trio at some point the following year. Yeah. So it was good that the animals making comeback, I guess. Yeah. So looking at the BVD tournament with Inoki beating Sting, like with a sponsor, do you think sponsor like BVD is like, it's got to be a major <laughs> star who wins our tournament? We've got to have, or maybe, you know, maybe like, you know, they don't follow probably wrestling that closely, so they want someone they know to win the tournament, yeah. uh, like Inoki, something like that? Sure. And the BVD tournament big deal right people yeah. didn't really make such a big deal out of it or anything you know it wasn't the main event main event still was Hashimoto against Kensuke Sasaki's 
IWGP series, I, you know, IWGP program. Yeah, among those Japanese main event guys, Hashimoto and Kensuke Sasaki really headlined many, many Tokyo Dome. Yeah, they ended up, you know, headlining a lot of Tokyo Dome shows at that time. Well, I think Hashimoto, did he have the most headlines so far? I think so, yeah. yeah. Almost like an accident, you know, because you would think Keiji Muto would have had more, right? Yeah, but, I would uh, think Muto, Chono, someone like that, yeah, for sure. But for some reason, Hashimoto headlined more because he was always single match wrestler and more serious, like, Japanese taste wrestler, huh? Well, and he gets, he, you know, he had an undoubtable charisma. Yeah. I mean, he had charisma. Heavy. For, he had, yeah, but he had charisma for days. I always thought, I mean, you talk about a guy who carries himself like a star. I always thought that, yeah. you know, I think you could argue that maybe you'd rather see a Chono or Muto match, but in their prime anyway. But I think as far as charisma and stuff, I think Hashimoto has it all over them. Right, more emotional. Yeah. Yeah, people cry with him. Yeah, I think yeah, he has a yeah. better connection with the crowd. Yeah, I agree. I agree. agree. Right. Right. Abil- you know, wrestling ability and, uh, you know, um, your athletic ability, Muto mm-hmm. is a little better, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, Hashimoto come off, comes off like star of the show. More relatable. Was it a surprise yeah. that Hashimoto beats Sasaki? Uh, um, I I think those two they could go either way, huh? Every time they meet, they could go either way. That's why it's not so obvious, and people had interest. You know, this time Hashimoto may mm-hmm. beat you know Kensuke, or Kensuke could beat Hashimoto this time out, or yeah, it's like more unpredictability. I believe. Real quick, we'll talk about the IWGP Tag Team Tournament, even though it went on second to last. Hase and Muto taking beat the uh, Steiner brothers. Yeah, yeah. And then they, uh, they, they defended the title, yes. So Hashimoto, see, it was more like Hashimoto already had a program and Chono having a program. So Hase and Muto were put together or something. I wouldn't say left over or anything, but... Uh, that was the tag team they created at the time. Um, it's really hard to beat Hase and, and Muto, though, huh? That's both equally talented, you know? And uh, they have to win. When it comes to Gaijin tag teams, foreign tag yeah. teams in Japan, where do you rank the Steiner brothers Steiner? versus Top. versus Road Warriors Ooh. versus Rody and Hanson? Where do you... Where, oh. versus versus funks what do you what do you what do you think oh wow well it's not fair to compare though but uh stan hansen bruiser brody much bigger huh because it was like a tag team of the whole era yeah and also an individual superstar each of them you know stan hansen bruiser brody both superstar huge and steiners were never singles wrestlers here but um yeah during 90s yes steiners I put Road Warriors above Steiners still, but Steiners were, um, yeah, fairly big star here. And they didn't do much jobs. It was always in uh, pretty much top program of tag team divisions. So they were always treated as a star. Yes, Steiners were pretty big. 
Yeah. So next week we'll talk about uh, what are they called? Wrestling World. We'll talk about those. <laughs> and uh, we'll, okay. we'll, we'll go into we'll go into some of those. And uh, like I said, we can also talk in a couple of weeks. We'll talk about uh, Hulk Hogan, and then we'll also keep an eye on this Chris Jericho New Japan as we move toward Wrestle Kingdom twelve in yes, the Tokyo yes. Dome. What's the What's the vibe right now in in Tokyo about about Wrestle Kingdom? How excited are people? Is it really Is it getting into um, buzz? It's like your It's like your WrestleMania coming up. Yes, but there are but good it, WrestleManias and the there year. are bad WrestleManias. There are good years and there are bad years. Do you, are you feeling more buzz for others or less? Uh, more buzz than last year. Yes. But this year had a real good buzz, and also this year's January fourth was the one who had they had the Okada against Kenny Omega fifty-eight minute match. So that will stand out. But this year, yes, um, this coming January fourth, Wrestle Kingdom, yes, they are. Um, I feel pretty strong buzz right now. Yes. Any thoughts on uh, how big the the ticket sales could be? Uh, they're already selling, you know, over twenty thousand tickets. You know, first week, and uh, yeah, there are more news to come because they have not announced the entire lineup either. See, the name, the name of the event, Wrestle Kingdom, will draw on its own, much like WrestleMania. See, January fourth, Tokyo Dome, New Japan. It's like uh, that's household name right there, you know, you know. New Year's holiday is a real big thing here, and if you're a wrestling fan, 28th, 29th, 30th of December, New Year's Eve, all night wrestling, January 1st there's something, and second and third, all Japan's Korakuen, Korakuen. Then there's uh, Tokyo Dome Show on 4th. There's another uh, event by New Japan called, uh, much like Wrestling Access, where you can, you know, get autographs of wrestlers and have, you know, all kinds of fanfare thing. And, uh, yeah, New Japan is treating this whole whole week as like a WrestleMania weekend. A lot of people are coming from America. I, I see the same face every year. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you know what we should do? I should, uh, yeah. you should, we should come up with uh, some suggestions for people coming to Japan, what they should see in those uh, few days, maybe a couple of shows. Right, you, right. Okay, you, let's come up with the precise schedule. Yeah, you should come up what with some, comp- some yeah. rec- you should just what do company some... is doing what show or what date, what time, where. Right. Yeah, we can do that. And you should make some recommendations like Bull Nakano's bar, Killer Con's restaurant, stuff like or, that. Or wrestling shops and stores. Right. You yeah, can buy old magazines and T-shirts and all the gimmicks just around the same neighborhood of Tokyo Dome and Korakuen Hall. Yeah. Just stay around the area. You can do a lot during the day. And when you go to the New <laughs> Japan store, I think they do. They hand, Last time I was there a couple of months ago, they'll hand you a yeah. map of all of the other wrestling stores. So they'll give yeah, you... Yeah, in the neighborhood. Yes, yeah, yes. in the neighborhood. More book-oriented place, more DVD and video-oriented you know, place. Yeah. And those, the, the restaurant that you may run into a wrestler or something like that, right? Do you think the great Kabuki's restaurant's going to be really busy right now because he's retiring? Probably, but they're all catered to older fans, though, because he's always there. See, today's fans, like I said, 
New Japan World, New Japan Universe, only watching New Japan. But that group of fans. But we do have hardcores here. And hardcores always dig into smaller company, old timers, you know, old magazines, and all those things. And uh, yeah, um, Great Kabuki's Bar would be pretty interesting place to visit this holiday season. Okay, so in the next couple of weeks, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm going to task you with just just some just your good recommendations. It doesn't have to be the most thorough thing, but what do you think the best things to see and do are? So your recommendations, <laughs> I think. I'll, I'll I'll write down you know before you know yeah. our next show and uh, yeah, there are quite a few places. Like for example, how busy does it get at uh, Ribera? Do you think it gets really super busy at Ribera Steakhouse? Uh well, still, it's always open, so, you know, you make time to visit. And, uh, yeah, you should really go there, you know, just to witness those photos on yeah, the wall. Yeah, photos are amazing. The photos. Yeah, from yeah from Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, Bruiser Brody, Stan Hansen era to Mike Tyson's photos, or relatively new guys like Brock Lesnar, the Goldberg, yeah. all those even independent American wrestlers, they all come in. And I want to let people know, because I didn't know this the first time I went, the satin jackets are just for workers. Wrestlers. They're just for wrestlers. <laughs> I guess, you know, yeah, plus they stopped making ones you know that they didn't think it was important anymore yeah. but a lot of americans got you know guys show up and want to can i have that satin jacket we don't make one you know we don't make it anymore or something like that why don't they just that... sell them i don't understand is that could they make <laughs> i don't know I the don't steakhouse know. right still <laughs> yeah as busy as it, uh, pretty busy as it is that's true there isn't a lot of room there keep in mind ribera is really small too it's not huge it's just a few tables right Right. But uh, when you go there, you will run into at least one or two wrestlers who's eating there. They're all friendly, too. Well, we'll talk about some things to do if you're going to go to uh, Tokyo for Wrestle Kingdom 12. We'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks. But be sure and to... And also, we'll, we'll, get, we'll take questions. Yes. Where can they find you? Yeah, uh, anything. Yeah, yeah, all, all kinds of historical thing, or the questions, or long time questions, or things you you know you wanna really yep. talk about. You know, yeah. And how can they find like you on help. Twitter? Uh, Fumihiko Dayo. <laughs> F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O. Fumihiko Dayo is my Twitter. There we go. And can... also Fumi Saito on Facebook. And you can find me, Jim Valley, on Twitter and on Facebook. And if you have a question, you can hashtag AskFumi, uh, particularly if you're going to be going to uh, Tokyo in the next couple of weeks. But as we gear up for Wrestle Kingdom 12, we'll have more history of wrestling at the, Taco uh, wrestling at the Tokyo Dome. And we will also talk about things you should do if you're a fan, if you're heading to Tokyo. So we will talk <laughs> to you next week. So until next time. Sounds good. So long from Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs>